this is a uh, continuation from last week. If you were with us, um, we've been in a series in Colossians called Battle for Supremacy, and uh, Paul begins this letter in Colossians 1 talking about making a declaration of who Christ is the supremacy of Christ. And you hear that word that he calls Christ supreme, first preeminent, to the final authority and say in all things. And so as Paul's writing this, he's, he's, he's making the declaration Christ must be supreme. Then he does get into some very practical, um, everyday living things, how we should live, what kind of people should we live, what does it mean to live a godly life. And he gets into, uh, in chapter 3, um, marriages and family and work. And, uh, and so I... Last week and the last couple weeks have been talking about but last week specifically, I started this thing called 25 Things That I've Learned in 25 Years of Marriage because I've had the privilege of being married to my beautiful wife for 25 years. Woohoo! Yeah, yeah. I feel like I'm always provoking uh, uh, applause when I say that, so, um, but I'll take it 25 years, guys. It flies by. Doesn't it, guys? Damn, it goes back quick. Daughter who's married now, and a son who's never coming back home, and he doesn't love it. You know, Taylor's, doing, Taylor's doing fantastic. He sends his love. We got to talk to him last night, and uh, he's doing really, really well down in Texas. You got to say it like that, too. Um, fan, yeah, it goes by quick. I mean, it goes by so fast. And so it was going by so fast, we decided to start over again, and now we have to do that. We're adopting again. So, for you guys that don't know that, so. Um, that's the new news in our life, and so we just figure that we maybe if we, if we have younger kids, we'll, we'll seem like we're younger. So, um, yeah, I don't know. So, 25 years goes by quick, but I, I started this uh, thing last year, 25 things I've learned, and we didn't get through all 25, but I want to pick up where we left off last week, and I want to give a little bit of a setup um, again on this idea of marriage. And you might be with us today, and Maybe you're not married. Maybe you, you, you've had a, a marriage that went bad. Um, and, and we can talk about this idea. This is more than just an idea for husbands and wives. Because the institution of marriage is a, it's a sacred and holy union created by God to be done His way. But in the big scheme of things, it's a temporary institution that reveals an eternal truth. And I started with this, and I'm not going to get into the whole thing that I talked about last week, but marriage is a temporary institution. Jesus said that we wouldn't be married in heaven. And so what is this institution created by God? God came up with it, Genesis 1 and 2. This is before the fall. God set up the blueprint, the divine design for marriage, a man and a woman, um, in, 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 in putting their lives together. A man will leave his father and mother be joined to his wife, the two will become one flesh. And so we see God's design and blueprint in Genesis 1 and 2. But there, again, there was something greater, the, there was a revelation that was going to point to a greater reality. And we see that reality in the New Testament when Jesus comes on scene. Paul says this in Ephesians 5. So Paul wrote about marriage. He writes about it in Colossians. But in Ephesians 5, he, 
kind of paints this picture of roles in marriage, the husbands should love their wives, like Christ of his church, and we, we talked about biblical submission a couple of weeks ago, but this idea of marriage, and then he talks about marriage, husbands and wives, and then he gets to the end of his thought, and he says, but I'm, I'm, I'm telling you a mystery. Yes, I've been talking about earthly marriage. Yes, I've been talking about how God wants you to do it. And in fact, he points back to Genesis 2.24 and says, there's the blueprint, uh, a husband and wife. Then he says, though, I am revealing a profound mystery. I am talking about Christ and the church. And so what is Paul saying? Paul is saying that this idea of marriage is a temporary institution on the earth that reveals an eternal reality, the gospel. It reveals Christ in the church. It's no wonder that marriage is under attack in our culture, in our society, because it is not a man-made institution. It is a God-ordained, holy, sacred institution that God came up with. And in this idea of why is it holy, why is it sacred, again, because it's pointing to an eternal reality. It points us to Christ in the church. One of the names of Jesus is bridegroom. One of the names of the church is called bride. That's not a gender thing. That is just a positional thing. I talked about the Old Testament where there's an analogy that, that, uh, that God is a jealous God and when the children of Israel would forsake Him and they would... You know, they would move away and say, we'll do it our own way. We will become supreme. We'll make ourselves God of our own life. The prophets, there's several prophets that use the analogy of marriage. And they said that you are, of Israel, that come back to God, you are like a, you are like a cheating spouse, is kind of what they would say. And so this idea of marriage, the analogy of marriage, has been proclaimed throughout history. But it's to point us to an eternal reality. And the whole idea of male-female, he created them. Genesis 1, male-female created them. He says, Adam, it's not good for man to be alone, so I'm going to make him a suitable helper. And so he creates a woman. And uh, in that place, again, um, Adam, Adam wakes up from the deep sleep, I created a woman. And he, in Hebrew, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a song of praise. He, she is now bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. Adam begins to worship God when he sees her. Thank you, God, for this. And he begins to worship. But again, the, even the uniqueness, male, female, how we're created, reveals something about God in his uniqueness. And that's why God didn't create, when he created a suitable helper for Adam, he did not create sameness. You understand what I'm saying? He did not create another male, he created a female. It was something distinct, unique. Again, pointing to an eternal reality that Jesus is different than the church. Man is different than the woman. So even in the uniqueness and distinction of how God created, He's revealing something about Himself in an eternal reality. And so marriage is a sacred union between a man and a woman. And so we're going to get into, uh, uh, let, let's, let's go to the passage again. And we're going to set this up. Uh, I told you every week we're going to give this passage. Next week we're going to be talking about raising kids and parenting and all that stuff. And I'm excited about that. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed for anything that's created and He and is supreme. That word first, preeminent, ruler, ultimate authority. Um, that is what that means. And Paul is saying it's about Christ. And what he's saying is He must be supreme. 
He's not going to make himself supreme in your heart. You have to make him supreme. And this, again, that battle for supremacy. Who is on the throne of your heart? Is it you or is it Jesus? And Paul's saying he is supreme over all creation. For through him God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. And I just put marriage and family. So everything is created, including marriage and family. He made the things we can see and the things we cannot see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, authorities, and the unseen world. Everything, marriage and family, is created through him and for him. So marriage is created through him and for him. If, if he's supreme, if what Paul is saying is true, then even marriage. Let's go to the next one. He existed for anything else. He holds all creation together. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning, supreme, that first preeminent over all who rise from the dead. So he's first in everything. And I think Paul is saying, he, that's who he is. And you'll need to determine. That'll be the determination in every heart. Will he be supreme in your life? And that's what it means I, I, to be a Christian, to be a follower of Christ. Is he is Lord and supreme. He is Savior, but he must be the Lord. For God in all of his fullness is pleased to live in Christ, and through him God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. Thank you, Jesus, for who you are. He is the supreme. And so I'm going um, to rip through the first 12 that we did last week. I'm not going to spend any time on those. If you want to listen to that, you can get the CD or listen to it online. But let's go through those. All right. Number one, marriage is about us. And I just have to say, marriage really is about us. It's not about people. It's about Jesus. And he is saying, I'm speaking of Christ and the church. So it's a, it's a greater reality. Putting Jesus at the center of our marriage and our home was the greatest decision we ever made. We didn't do that perfectly. Athena and I, but at the very beginning, we, we determined that Jesus would be at the center. He's going to be supreme over our marriage. And we failed, and we've made mistakes, and we've had faults, and we've had to forgive and repent, and repent and forgive, and forgive and repent some more. But we made a determination that Christ would be at the center of our home. It's the greatest decision that we ever made in our home, that he would be number one. Three, allow Jesus to define your relationship, not culture. Not the bachelor or the bachelorette. That does not speak to the holy and sacred union of marriage. Do not get your cues from culture. All right, number four. Uh, I almost feel like I'm going off on that again, but I'm not going to. Number four, marriage is about death to self, not self-centeredness. If it's portraying Christ in the church, it's about laying our lives down. So it's, with people going to marriage, that this is about me, and that in what sense, for me, you are on a slippery slope to be very disappointed. Especially, I have two people thinking of only themselves. I told you guys there's a pastor friend of mine who, a large church, and he does premarital counseling with groups, and his first session is prepare to die. <laughs> Welcome to premarital counseling, prepare to die. Um, it is about death to self. Number five, learn to love the little things that matter more than you think. It's, it's an accumulation of a lot of little things, memories, and, you know, and, and a lot of times we think there's grand scale things in marriage. and Really, it's a lot of little things that accumulate over time that are very important. Number six, it's incredibly hard at times, but completely worth it. People that go in with unreasonable expectations in marriage, it's one of the biggest downfalls, the biggest hurdles, if they think, well, I'm, we're going to get married and we're going to be happier and it's going to be, we're going to, all of our problems are going to disappear and, and you know, and, and, and we're just, we just love each other and we're never going to argue and all everything's going to be great and wonderful and we're never going to have any problems and don't do that. You know, it's hard, but it's, it's worth it. 
Um, number seven, true love is found when you feel love after knowing the other's faults. And you will find them. True love is, is, is again, it's, it's about Christ. Aren't you glad He loves us even when we blow it? He shows mercy. And so, true love is seen in those moments because, again, the love that's talked about is agape love, not emotional love, not even physical sexual love, but agape love, self, um, self-sacrificial love. Hey, your spouse is in Jesus, so don't expect him to do. Sometimes we look to that person to fill something in our hearts, to heal something. You complete me. And I don't care how romantic that sounds, it's just not true. If Jesus isn't completing you, don't look to a person. Number number nine, getting your identity in Christ helps you not to look for your identity in your marriage and makes you a better spouse. Someone goes with number eight. And when I say this, these are things that I've learned as I've learned and learning. Okay? Just because I've been married 25 years doesn't mean that we're experts in this by any stretch. These are ongoing learning things that we got help me to remember that. Alright, let's go to the next one. Admitting you are wrong, um, forgiving quickly, making allowance for each other's faults, and not holding on to grudges will bring you peace, rest, and freedom from anxiety. It's guaranteed. When you blow it, admit it. It's one of the hardest things to say if I was wrong. It's a holy thing. It's a holy thing. Please forgive me. And then extending forgiveness when that happens. Even if they don't say they're sorry, extending forgiveness. And, and, and that's what the Bible says, Paul says, as far as it's concerned with you, be at peace with all men, including yourself. But admitting when you're wrong. Eleven, the grass is never greener on the other side. Stay on your side of the fence. Culture feeds that. It's discontentment, discontentment, discontentment. It makes you think that it would be better somewhere else. And it's like a whole other set of issues that you're walking into. The culture romanticizes that. The people that we idolize in culture, movie stars and singers, that's why they're, they go through thousands like water. And it's a tragedy because what is happening is it's just discontent and discontent, and I move on discontent, and it's, 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 it's just a, a pool of discontentment that leads us to um, making those horrible decisions. Next one. All right, so this is the one, uh, the last one from last week. Get your issues worked out no matter what it takes. And this is humbling of our hearts. If you're dealing with things, I encourage you to go see a Christian counselor and humble yourself. It's so hard sometimes to admit that, that maybe we need some help. That help. Maybe we need some accountability. Maybe we need to, uh, to meet with a couple who can mentor us, to love us, to kind of pray for us through what we're going through. And, and, and that's, you know, when we ignore issues and we keep pushing them off the side, it's not a big deal. We minimalize them. Uh, it, 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 they're going to keep coming. And so I encourage you, uh, uh, you know, humble yourself. Do whatever it takes. All right, and then picking up to that, number 13. Here we go. Prioritizing time together is more valuable than you will ever know. Go. Next one, 13. There we go. Prioritizing time together. It is more valuable than you will ever know. And, and, and the idea is, and it's just this in Scripture, a man will leave his father and mother and he will be joined, connected to his wife. And so marriage is a connection, it's a covenant that is physical, spiritual, emotional, and mental. 
That is why I'm, I'm just amazed at how God did it the way He did it. You take two human beings that are wired completely different, and the temptation of the enemy, again, is to make those differences battle things. And God wants to make them where they are complementary, that they work together. And that is why time together, connectedness, is way more valuable than you could ever realize. And that's why in, in, in a great marriage is built by being intentional. And this idea of making connections is making those investments in each other. Heard one person say, "Make it your goal to make more investments than withdrawals. Invest in it. Take time." I understand that there are times and seasons where that's a little more difficult, but you have to be intentional. Prioritizing time together. You know, it's when you have little kids and we're reliving that. Where it's, you know, dates are hard, or time together is hard. You have to be creative, but you have to work at it. If you just think it's going to magically happen, it won't. You have to sit down and make a plan. I tell people this, um, make time together an appointment with your spouse if you have to. Because we don't tend to break appointments. And our spouse is usually the first person that we can, you know, like if, if something comes up and somebody needs you and it's like, well, can you do this? And you go, well, we were going to go out on a date, but I'll, I'll, I'll do that instead because this person needs me. Don't do that. I, mean, I understand there's times where emergencies happen and you have to do that. But this is an appointment. And if you have to do that, do it. Make the connectedness a priority. Those keep that time together is so valuable. Number 14. And this is kind of goes together with together. Romance doesn't have to be gigantic stuff. It can be small, meaningful, intentional things. This is kind of for men. Um, guys, don't wait 20 years and then, like, you know, have a personal, you know, fireworks show in your backyard with a choir and, you know, uh, you know, she might like that, but it's usually small things. It doesn't have to be gigantic stuff. I've heard people say, well, I can't be romantic. I can't afford it. And I'm like, who said anything about that? If you like flowers, you can pick some flowers. Don't illegally pick flowers. You know what I'm saying. Um, it doesn't have to be this gigantic thing. It can be very little things that can accumulate to do together. And it's just a matter of being intentional. Again, it goes with connectedness. You know, romance to some ladies is that guy you wash the dishes for them. They're like, yes, that is one of the most romantic things you've ever done for me. Um, a, a good resource is Gary Smalley's book, The Five Love Languages, if you've ever read that. To learn your spouse's love languages. And I know guys and, you know, women, this is, I'm not picking on you at all, but some women have all five love languages. This is wired that way, and that's okay, but there's some predominant ones, and just figure it out. I say that that's a lot easier, guys, than do one. Wow, this is, uh, you just have one to pick from, and they're, they're going to be happy with that. But uh, yeah, so romance doesn't have to be gigantic stuff. It can be small, meaningful, intentional things that I know. Um, a love test, you know, or embracing technology. Love you, thinking about you. A small note, something, some people. Someone is like, hey, write me something, please. And uh, some woman is like, the text is great. Thinking about me. But making those 
intentional romantic connection. It doesn't have to be Number 15, keep communication flowing. Make it a priority to talk. This is another thing that, that is a kind of with connectedness. It's easy for us to be kind of like fasting in the night. We've got our things, we're busy, and we just do this again. A part of that is sometimes make it a daytime time to get the kids in the back, get little kids, and we're going to sit and talk about, you know, have a meaningful conversation and, and that we're able to talk. So many times, this is a deficiency in couples with connectedness. One of my very best friends had a, a failed marriage. I walked with him through that. And he said, I asked him, you know, what happens? God loves God. He said, we put the marriage on the back burner. You know, you're having kids and you're doing school and all of these priorities take precedence. And he said, we just didn't prioritize our marriage. We were having, we were hardly talking. Well, again, if you do that long enough, it takes a toll on your marriage. And so prioritize time to talk. Keep the communication blowing. Number 16. Youthfulness will fade. True beauty doesn't. Youthfulness will fade. True beauty does not. Culture tries to define what beauty is and it's a word that does have on the outward. That's what culture says. The value of beauty, the value of, is outward. And so people spend their lives trying to perfect an outward beauty. I'm not saying don't take care of yourself. You understand what I'm saying here. But when it becomes an all-consuming thing, and that is where you get value and, 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 and people are they're really beautiful, it's what, what is defining that? Because culture is lying to us every day. That's why even um, even when you see, you know, like a, a magazine cover, a lot of that is been photoshopped and edited, and it, and, and, and it is preaching a message mainly to ladies and young women that this is what the definition of beauty is. And it's, and it's, frankly, it's, it's, it's heart-wrenching because of what is happening in our culture. True beauty and seeing with the eyes of God can keep attraction going even when you are old. Because true beauty is in Peter talks about that in marriage. He said, he, you know, he talks about women who adorn themselves with, you know, try to make themselves look beautiful. I'm not saying women don't adorn yourself with earrings or makeup or whatever. But it, again, it's, what are you consuming? And Peter says this, he says, true, the, the, the unfading of beauty is inside, it's in the heart. And that's why when you begin to see with the eyes of God, you can grow very well. One of, one of the greatest things that, that, that we witnessed when, you know, you ever like the people watch? If you don't, maybe people are watching you. Um, so there's something going on there. Um, but we just watch people. One of our favorite things to do is watch old couples who are still in love with each other. It's one of the most beautiful things to me. Is there being affectionate? And um, and, and recently, um, it, was, it, it was actually goes back to when we, we did our little Valentine's um, banquet up here. It was Valentine's in March. We did a couple's night out. And... Uh, 
Barry and I were trying to find some videos that were kind of encouraged for couples. And one video we did not show. It is actually one of the most touching videos I, I probably could show and just not talk about it, but I'm going to talk about it. I don't want to do that. But, um, it's it's a, an older couple, and the lady has a debilitating disease. And every day he gets her, she's not able to walk, but he takes her out every single day. And uh, they live in, I think, New Zealand. And, uh, and he has created a bike with a seat on the front, and then he takes her for a bike ride on this bike trail and they look in the mountains. And the, they, they, they do little oceans. And he did every day he takes her out. And they were interviewing him in this video, and just with you know, emotion in his voice, kind of, because they talked about, is this a burden? He said, absolutely not. That this woman is the most beautiful woman in the world to me. And it just, I mean, the women are like, oh, and men are like, man, I wish I was more like him. Just as beautiful when you see even that youthfulness can fade. Beauty does not fade. Do not buy the lies of culture. So it's kind of fun to see old guys still pursuing their wives. And again, beauty defined by culture breeds discontentment. All right, next one. Your marriage must be for your kids, grandkids, and other relationships. Outside of your relationship with Christ, your marriage must be priority. And, we, and, and we've seen this again become where I know kids can be consuming in seasons where, where you have the little kids and stuff that's going on, it can be consuming for a time. problem is, after that time, if we forget that the time is over and we still begin to prioritize the relationship with our kids above our spouse. I'm not saying they'll have relationship with your children. You understand what I'm saying? Prioritize time with your spouse. We see more marriages hurt because, again, there, there's so much time spent in all the kids' activities and all this, and we're running ragged with the kids, and, and then mom and dad, you know, the relationship gets neglected. But it must be priority above those. Um, and it's easy, again, to be dictated by kids or grandkids or other relationships. Sometimes we run to our best friends and we're confiding in best friends. And I'm not saying you shouldn't have accountability people outside your marriage, but boy, if you're, if you're running to them um, instead of your spouse, as opposed to an addition to your spouse, be careful how we exalt those other relationships. Next one. Having fun together brings not only great memories, but great unity. This, again, is just to, to, to have fun together, do common things together. What do you enjoy? Lots of us forget this stuff. And this is a part of laying down our lives down, too, because sometimes, you know, our husbands, you need to go, go, go to that antique shop with her. I know it's going to kill you, but you, you need to take it to cross sometimes. Ladies, if he wants to look at that sports store, go in there with him and look around and, uh, and, and but find common things. You know, because you guys have seen it, and this is another one of those things in the mall. Hey, guys, I get it. We don't even need to go there, but I get it. Um, the guys in the mall sitting on the bench asleep. You see that? And I'm like, I hope that's not me one day. 
Yeah, and they're just like, you know, um, and I'd rather be asleep than like grumbling and complaining about what their life is doing. But um, sometimes guys do. I'm not saying every time, but, but, but find common things. But have fun together. We forget to have fun together. And whatever that is, taking a walk together, you know, uh, renting a movie that's decent. Um, but doing those fun things together is to bring the fun back in our our marriage is that last year, when's the last time you laughed together? And you just had a funny conversation and just laughed together. Don't forget that stuff. Number 19. There is great joy in having your spouse as your best friend. Now I would say work on your friendship. If you guys aren't friends, work on that. Um, one of the greatest things. My, my wife is my best friend. And, and again, we have to work at that. We blow it a lot. We make mistakes. I don't, please don't think that I'm standing up here before you as a guy who's had to all figure out. But I serve the one who does have it all figured out. And we run to him. And, 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 but having your spouse as your best friend, there's, there's, there's such a great value to that. Again, it's that model Christ and truth that Jesus is our friend. Remember in John where he says, you are my friend? And that we can look at our spouse and say, you are my friend. As opposed to a, you know, where marriage can become a, you know, a, a business partnership or, you know, a, a child-raising partnership. Um, instead of us being connected and being friends. Work on friendship. It's great joy when your spouse becomes your best friend. Uh, number 20. Marriage can be like fine wine. It can get better with age. It doesn't have to get worse. It can get better with age. And I love this because you, uh, you know, you get to a certain point and you know each other's faults, you know each other's issues. Um, hiding that stuff, you know, it gets a little harder. I'm not saying we can't hide stuff, and and, and we, we we can still try to do that. But our spouse knows us greater than anyone. When we're right, when we're when we're when we're faking it out there in public and we're wearing masks and we're not real honest and transparent, our our spouses are all over that. Like that's not you. I like the real you. But it can be like a fine wine. It can get better with age. Um, and, and, and and my prayer for you in your marriage is that it gets better and better with age. Number twenty-one. See your spouse as a gift and treat them as such. Don't take each other for granted. Again, when we become more self-centered, we can breed resentment of ourselves or what we're not getting from them. Instead of saying, God, no matter what, through the good, the bad, the ugly, they are a gift to me. The Bible says, he who finds a wife finds a gift and obtains, you know, a favor from the Lord. And it's to say, God, maybe I'm going through a season where I don't see them as a gift. Help me to see them as a gift. Help me to treasure them like a gift. They, you gave them to me, and I'm going to treasure them like a gift. Help me to see them with your eyes. Again, that's some of the transformative power of the Holy Spirit, that He has to do that work in us. 
a lot of times resentment is it comes out because we are not ourselves getting fulfilled in Christ. Goes back to that, that that your spouse is in Jesus, and if I'm getting my fulfillment in the Lord, it, it, it makes it an easier road to see my spouse as a gift from God. To see them as a gift. Ask the Lord for help if you stop seeing them as a gift. That's where I say live with as little regret as possible. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 13, you know, love is patient, love is kind. And he overwhelms us with this list of what love is. And, and, and again, he's saying, you can't do this without me. You can't do marriage without me. It, it, it goes back to Colossians 1, 15-20. The way we walk this out is if Christ is supreme. You have to make Him Lord every day. You have to be intentional about that. That I pray for marriage that we begin to see each other as a gift. Number 22. It's one of my favorites. Continue to be affectionate to cry out loud. Hold hands, hug, flirt with each other, not other people, each other. But again, I love seeing old couples that are out walking in the mall. They're still holding hands, they're still touching. Human physical touch is unbelievably important. Um, Athena and I going again, again, jumping into the adoption world again. We we, we had to take uh, a class last week online, and, it, and it's a similar class to when we when we got Judah. But it, it was almost it's more valuable option now that we have Judah. One of the things we talk about is human touch, and you know, especially when you have kids that have been institutionalized, and um, you, you, you know, um, when a child is born, that initial touching and holding. Unbelievable what's happening. A lot of you guys know that, but neurons are firing, connection, bondedness, and all of those things are taking place. And, and they talk about how you work with a child who hasn't had that in those first few months, um, even those first few days, they didn't have that. And how do you do that? And how do you begin to feel some of those things? But even we still need it when we're older. He said, there's, there's something healing about human touch of placing your hand on it, just that you care for someone, hugging someone, holding someone's hand. There's unbelievable healing type things and, and the power of the human touch. That, that's how God created us. And this being affectionate with it in the husband and wife, again, it's easy just to grow apart and kind of not do that anymore. It's like the couple that, you know, the joke of the couple that got married, they were married for 50 years and they give them the mic and they say, you know, they're asking them, uh, you, know, you know, what, and, and the, the lady's kind of heartbroken she got tears They said, what's wrong? And she said, you know, you, the, you only told me that you love me the day we got married. You never told me you love me. He said, I told you. He said, I told you that day and if ever I changed my mind, I would let you know. It's funny, but not so funny. Keep those things, touch, affection, flirting, those kind of holy flirting, if you will, with your spouse. I love you. You know, Athena and I can we'll look at each other across the room and, you know, just smile. I'll wink at her. I, you know, it's just that, that she still captures my heart. Sometimes we need the Lord to reignite that fire within us. Number 23. Really listen to each other. I said before, talk to each other, really listen to each other. Part of the communication 
The Bible says, be quick to listen and slow to speak. It's not never speak, but slow to speak. Quick to listen. What are they saying? Really sit down and, and guys, that's, you know, a lot of women, I'm not saying every woman, I'm not making pat, you know, statements, but a lot of women, meaningful listening of what they're telling you when they're communicating, meaningfully listening. And also reading some of those non-verbals of what is really being said. A lot of times when you say what's wrong, if he says nothing, it's not nothing. You just got to figure out what it was, what it is. And I know that's complex. And I know that that's hard sometimes. But there again, we love each other. We lay down our lives with each other. Peter says this. Guys, this will help you. First Peter 3 says, treat your wife in an understanding way. He didn't say fully understand her. But treat her in an understanding way. Because he says, if you don't, your prayers will be hindered. Ouch. A lot of times we guys are going, God, why don't you speak to me? And he said, uh, maybe you should try to treat your wife in an understanding way and I'll start listening to your prayers. That's an interesting. Because I've lived it too. But quick to listen, slow to speak, those communicators sitting down, and again, making time. Making time. 24, and we're winding down here. Pray for each other. Fight for each other and not against each other. This has one of, been one of the most valuable things that Athena and I have learned in marriage, is to pray with each other and for each other. If you don't do that in your marriage, I encourage you to begin to do it. It doesn't have to be an hour-long prayer meeting. It can be a simple prayer, first thing in the morning, at the end of the day, that you just take a moment and pray with each other and for each other. It might, if you've never done it, it might be awkward. In fact, it probably will be awkward at first, but take up your cross Know that God is worth it and your marriage is worth it. This is the most, one of the most important things that I have to tell you all here. Is it's a part of making Christ first. Lord, we give you our marriage. God bless my husband, bless my wife. Thank you for them. In Jesus' name, amen. It can be that simple. But it begins to help your heart that, that God wants to make you intimate allies. And the differences in the things that the enemy tries to get us to fight against each other makes the, the, the difference are are these things that make us pound against each other and, and, and begin to fight against each other instead of for one another and becoming allies, we become enemies. Because wherever there is unity, the enemy wants to divide that. That's why unity is so hugely important. And this idea of marriage is represented Christ in the church. Throughout Scripture, Jesus, Paul, James, John, they all talk about the power of unity, like even in the church. That's why in unity, in relationships, family relationships, marriage, the church, the enemy will try to fight and he will try to bring division. He will try to bust out unity because he understands the power of unity. I mean, Jesus at the power of unity actually would represent the gospel. Lord, help them to love one another as you and I love each other so that the world will know. And so when people come into disunity and division, the gospel is actually being tendered. And that's what the enemy wants. But God wants to make us in a marriage and intimate allies that we fight for each other. 
praying for each other. I encourage you to do that. And adopting things where you can um, pray with one another, read the Word together when you have time. And you will have to be intentional. That word intentional will be just something that will just be a, a monster to you. We have to be intentional about this. We have to it has to be an appointment. We have to do this. And again, if that's getting the kids in the bed and we have five to ten minutes together right now, let's do this. But make it happen. And lastly is this, in closing with this. Regularly practice forward thinking. What do I mean by that? This is something that happened uh, for me. Um, I think that you should forward think in your marriage and your family, even as people of God. This idea came to me, and, and, and I regularly do this, but um, I, was, I was doing jail ministry in Florida when I was in the Air Force, and my son Ozzy and I, every week we would go to the, this jail. We had a 40-minute drive there, a 40-minute drive back, and it really became a time that our relationship bonded, accountability, prayer, and one day, I get him call Ozzy to pick me up every week, and he can barely speak. I mean, he's very emotional and tears, and I'm like, what in the world is going on? And he just, and he can barely speak, and I'm like, are you okay? And he said, just a minute, just a minute. And he's just kind of composing himself. So we're out on the road, the highway, going to the, the, you know, the place where we do film ministry, and he just said, I just, I just came across this TV. He said, what I want you to do right now is uh, I'm going to play a song for you, and I want you to think of Tori getting married. And he pushed play, and it was Butterfly Kisses. Remember that song, Butterfly Kisses, about the little girl getting married? And he and I both go and then weeping in this car, because um, he had, he his daughter was about like 10 or 11 at the time, and Tori was, you know, three or so. And we're sitting there imagining our daughters getting married, and we're both weeping, going, they're never going to get married. Okay, just done. And the value of that, and here we were laughing at each other. I'm like, I can't believe you did that to me. Um, the value that I gained from that is to forward think, is to think about. And so I, I you know, we did a little bit, but I began to pray for our kids about their spouse, for their future, and to think about my own marriage with my wife and what kind of model, what kind of message am I preaching to my kids as they get older and they begin to look for a spouse. What do I want my marriage to be in 25 years back then when we were only married a handful of years? Because again, guys, it goes by quick. And you're only married four or five years. And you start thinking, what do I want my legacy to be when we hit the 25 year when we hit the 50 year mark? And it made me start forward thinking and being prayerful and saying, God, help me. Help me to walk with you in such a way that when I'm in my 80s and we're looking back, that I have as little regret as possible. It's not that we're not going to have no regret. We, we're, we all, we blow it, we make mistakes, but it's how we respond to that. Did we repent quickly? Did we forgive quickly? Did we make big stuff, too, you know, small stuff, big stuff, and we should have just move beyond them? Did we wound by what we said and how we spoke and then we just, in arrogance, never made that right? But forward thinking, imagine you're in your 80s. What, what would you want your marriage to look at that, like that at that point? What do you want to hear from your kids and your grandkids and your great-grandkids and your spouse at that point? And so I say implement that stuff now. 
Be prayerful. Be mindful. Make Christ the king now. You will have fewer regrets. I can promise you that. Not that you won't have no regrets. And again, I um, uh, and I, I do that regularly. And I and I shared this a while back, but I came across this story. You know, this parable about um, this guy. It, it was a parable about a guy, uh, the guy that we see two paths of his life that are taken. It's, a, it, it, it's in a book. It's not a real guy, but they write it in such a way to see this guy. You know, he, was, he had brokenness in his life. And this side, when he was living life A, he, you know, he, he, there was some abuse, there was some brokenness in his life. And then you see him growing up and he rejects every time the, the gospel is presented to him, every time that there's a chance to make things right, to surrender his life to Christ, to, get to go all in with Jesus, he rejects that. And then he has some kids out of wedlock, and he makes some horrible decisions, and he gets into, you know, alcohol. And, and then you see him, he's in his 80s, he's at the end of his life, and he's, he's laying in his hotel room all alone. And he's waiting, and he's, and he's dying, and there's nobody around him, and he's bitter, and he's angry, and he's waiting to die all alone. And then the parable says that it didn't have to be that way. So you take the same God, had the same abuses, but he said yes to Jesus. Still had a child at a wedlock, but he married this girl, and he said, you know, from this day forward, we're going to live for the Lord and love and serve Jesus. And you see that he goes on, and then he has more kids. And then they fast forward to the end of his life, and he's laying there on his deathbed, and he's in his 80s, and he looks around, and he sees his wife, his kids, his grandkids, and they're in tears, and some of it's joyful tears, and they are saying things like, thank you, Dad. Thank you, Grandpa. Thank you, Great Grandpa, for loving Jesus, for serving Jesus, for giving your life to Jesus, for loving your wife like Christ loves the church. And we are here loving God, serving God, living for the Lord because of your legacy. And I read that chapter. I tell you, I had to put that thing down. I wept and cried for a long period of time. So I'm like, dear God, help me to live that kind of life. What kind of life will we Live? Will it be to make Christ supreme or make us supreme? The implications are huge when you stand with me. Jesus, we love you. We worship you. We praise you. Lord, I pray for each one of our hearts today. God, I'm asking, Lord, that this, please, God, and, and, and any condemnation or any shame that anyone's feeling, that, that that would just kind of wash off of them. It's not what this message was intended to be. Again, these 25 things I'm, I'm still learning and I'm still failing at, and I'm still, I'm still uh, wishing I could do it better, but I, I, there are things that I'm learning. If you're here today, and, and then maybe you, maybe your relationship is, is is not where it needs to be. Maybe you have a failed relationship. Maybe there's a lot of hurt and there's a lot of heartache. Even when we bring up the topic of marriage, it's a very painful topic and subject for you. And I want to remind you of the love and the grace and the mercy of Jesus today. His mercies are new for you today. There can be healing in your heart. He can remove regret. He can remove failure and, and that you're being dictated by failure and shame. You don't have to be defined by that. That's not who you are in Jesus. 
Lord, for those, those um, here that are married, and maybe their marriage has just really, it's been, it's just in pain, and uh, it's strained. Lord, you are the God of the impossible, that you can begin to heal and restore, and I pray, God, ultimately, for all of us, the cry, Lord, of this passage, the cry, Lord, of, of, of your heart to us is make Jesus supreme. Start today, make him supreme, make him supreme in your life, Make him supreme in your marriage. Make him supreme in your home. And Lord, I pray that we would do that in a new way, that we would unconditionally to him, we would go all in for you. And Lord, that at the end of our lives, we would have fewer regrets. And that we would leave a legacy of faith of children, grandchildren who love you, people around us that are closer to you because of them. God, we honor you today and thank you for who you are. Lord, bless your people this week. In Jesus' name, amen.